the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to this KGNW broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the Heart of the City. You are listening to Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, the Director of Local Ministry Development for 820 AM The Word. I have a special guest with me today. His name is John Thaler Sanborn. He's with New Life Prison Ministry. Welcome today to Heart of the City, John. Thank you, Chuck. It's a pleasure to be here, and uh, I'm, I'm glad to spend this time with you. Well, you and I just had a great conversation. You and I both attend the same church. We don't normally see each other at church because it's a large congregation, but uh, we just had a good time reminiscing about some of the previous pastors and some of the folks oh, yeah. there in the congregation. So. Uh, it is good, but I I, I met you a, a few days ago actually at Missions Fest yes. where where we were and you had a booth there and and uh, you and I were were sharing a little bit and I thought I'd love to have you on Heart of the City to kind of share your story. Well, thank you. And um, I see you've got a Seahawks jersey and '88 on there, so makes me ask the question: Are you a long-term Northwest guy or are you a transplant? I'm a transplant. And I've only had two teams. Okay. San Diego Chargers and the Seattle Seahawks. Wow. Well, San Diego Chargers don't exist anymore. That's now right. they're the L.A. Chargers. So the, the <laughs> so the, are they still a team for you? Uh, they kind of a secondary. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm pretty much a Seahawks fanatic. And, yeah. You know, uh, don't have the funds to get to a lot of games, but occasionally we'll get to game, a game and enjoy yeah, that. But, it's, it's a lot of fun yes. being a being a fan for sure. Yeah. So, uh, so you grew up in the San Diego area? Uh, actually, I I was originally born in Springfield, Massachusetts, and at four we moved out to uh, Ontario, California. Uh, raised out there up through uh, my freshman year of high school. And then started moving all over the place. Hmm. Uh, did high school in Reno, in Alberton, Montana, in uh, Auburn, uh, New York. Wow. And then. Uh, so, what did your family, was your dad uh, the traveler? What was the deal with that? Gypsies. <laughs> Gypsies just kind of going from here to there. Yeah. So what's that like growing up as a kid, going to different schools all the time? And You know, it's one of those things that my, my sister and I have talked about that quite a bit. But uh, sometimes it was a struggle. Other times I just had a ball. Hmm. Uh, you know, it was one of those things that uh, I, I was raised in some areas and, and did fine and had had acquaintances. I didn't have any long-term life friends, and that was the only thing that now – I, I tend to regret. Yeah, so. yeah. I'm heading back to Illinois in, a, in 10 days, and I'll see friends back there that I grew up with, you know, when I, and went to church with. And, and when we have a conversation, it's like I haven't been gone for 27 years. You know, it's just that's yeah. just the way it is. 
with those kinds of long-term friendships, and that's the kind of thing that I'm sure you do miss. Well, I've got one. Uh, it's really kind of interesting because when I moved back up into the Northwest in in 85, uh, shortly after I got here, I met an individual at church and men's group, and we became fairly good friends. Now, he lives over in Yakima, and I'm here and we still go, we may go six or seven months with only Facebooking, but as soon as we're together, it's like we are finishing the conversation we started six months ago. Right, so. right. Yeah, those are great relationships yes. to have. So what was, your, what was your spiritual life like in your family? And uh, did, did you go to church? Were you a church boy or were you pretty rowdy? I was, it's actually, you know, it's one of those things that uh, we talk that I'm in the prison ministry and uh, I realized that over the course of my my youth and everything else that I had been in and around church all of my life uh, in one denomination or another and I, I went through a lot of denominations and what the Lord has shown me is that in every single one of them there were people that loved the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so I can't put a finger on what vacation Bible school or what Sunday school that I received Jesus Christ in, but I know that I knew him from very young. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I grew up, uh, wasn't the best of kids. It wasn't a constant church goer, but I I did have the relationship and... uh, I had even belonged to a denomination that supposedly doesn't believe in the military, and I declared myself to be that denomination when I was in the military, and so it was kind of interesting, but I met and married my wife, who was a lifelong Catholic, mm-hmm. and, you know, we we did things, but uh, it was actually in, in uh, 1980. Uh, listening to a television ministry that was the first time I ever heard that Jesus Christ wanted to be my friend mm-hmm. and that he wanted to be friends with me. And I started listening to that and hearing that, and it changed my focus that it was not, it, it was no longer about religion or church or whatever. It was about having a relationship with Christ and knowing who he is and what he's doing in my life. Yeah. Well, it's interesting uh, that you use that language because we just talked about friendship and how you didn't have long-term friendships. So it seems like the Lord used that need in your life. For some people, it's the need of a father. For others, it's the need of a friend, uh, you know, to to recognize that he is our friend and that he will be that friend. So... Uh, let's move forward. There's, I'm sure there's a lot we could cover, but I know there, there's some things uh, that, that we really do want to share, and that is you are the executive director of New Life Prison Ministry. So what, yes. is, what is New Life Prison Ministry, and what do you executive direct? <laughs> New Life Prison Ministry is a ministry that works mostly in the state of Washington. We've got... Uh, we've got services that we do at three of the four Monroe complex. Uh, We do Clallam Bay, Stafford Creek. We occasionally get into Shelton. Uh, We've got volunteers that work in Snohomish County Corrections and King County Corrections. And 
we not only work with the guys inside, but when they get out, we try to have a relationship built up so that we can work with them in co- in conjunction with knowing what the, pres- the that the prison knows what we're doing and who we're working with, but work with them on the outside to keep that relationship going or to plant them with somebody to get give them assistance to to work in some things because we know that just preaching to somebody doesn't do anything but preach to them. Mm-hmm. We we try to through the ministry operate in a spirit of love we deal with testimony we deal with the word and we uh, focus on seeing lives changed and and that's what we really uh, try to to see happen and that happens to the families the the inmates when they get out uh, and we train up volunteers to be able to go in and minister one-on-one uh, I hold a position, a, a volunteer position out at the Monroe Complex. It's called a volunteer program supervisor, and I work with the chaplains, and I work with the community program coordinator. I actually do office hours in the chaplain's offices out there. I meet one-on-one with the, and do counseling, and and I deal, I deal with more than just the Christians because the state chaplains are required to, to take care of all the so we work in all those areas, but everybody knows where my foundation is. My my Bible sits on the corner mm-hmm. of the desk. Right, it's there. But uh, most of them come in because they know that I've been, and I've been doing that out there since uh, two thousand and one. Mm-hmm. I don't think people realize that uh, when someone's incarcerated, or it's you talked about uh, finding hope. It's it's like once you get sucked into the into the legal system, it's very difficult to get out, isn't it? I mean, yeah. because there are so many different things that happen when you're incarcerated. The, you lose your job. You might have family situations. And then you get out and you have all these fines and you have court costs and you have, um, uh, you know, other bills that you may have accumulated uh, where you've got to reconcile with the victims. And and all of a sudden, even though you're out of prison, yet it seems like you're still sucked into the legal system, aren't you? Yeah, you are. There's, and that's one thing uh, a lot of people don't understand is that uh, only about 40% of the inmates have jobs in prison, and they only get paid $0.42 cents an hour. Mm-hmm. And they get 10% taken away and put into savings and 10 10 to 15 percent goes into the victim fund so they may come out of prison with a couple of hundred bucks if they've worked Mm -hmm. but other than that their gate money the money they're released with is a check for forty dollars now when that was established in the 1959 or 60 it was supposed to cover a week's worth of room and board Now won't even cover bus fare to get somewhere, you know. You know, so that's one of the things we look at is we try to find ways that people that are desiring to change their life to give them a hand in doing that. Mm-hmm. Because they truly do need a hand. If, oh, yeah. And, and so many, some have family support, yeah. but many do not do, you know. They've burned all the bridges. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And so they're out there alone and uh, very difficult to 
reestablish addresses, financial yep. situations, yep. driver's licenses, all oh. those things. Yep. That a guy has to and a and a woman have to go through to re, kind of reestablish their life. Oh yeah, and uh, they may be having to meet with a probation officer or something like that, and uh, just the transportation mo- to get there. Most of them have to meet at least initially once a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, breaks down to once a month, and then may extend out beyond there. But most of them have at least twelve to thirty six months of supervision mm-hmm. when they get out. Yeah, so that is some place they have to be and continue to follow the rules. Yeah. Well, if someone's listening today and and uh, they they they've had the impression and the Lord's kind of spoken to them about getting involved in a prison ministry, but they they may have never been in a jail before. <laughs> they don't even know what it's like and they're scared to death to even think about going to talk to an inmate. How can someone get involved? What what would you say? Basically, uh, check with your local church and see if they don't already have a ministry going. And if they don't and you are interested or would just like to ask some questions, uh, my website is newlifeprison.org. Go online there, make contact. Uh, We can can definitely get together and talk. Uh, When I first take people in, I I watch... uh, because you go through these things that are called sally ports, and it's just one big metal door that slams mm-hmm. shut while you're in the middle, and you got another one, and, and you go on through, and you have all this inspection and everything. And, and one of the things I've found in all the people I've taken in, I've only had three heading back out of a service say, hey, I don't ever want to be here again. Mm. The normal response is we're walking from the chapel to get get back out is when can I get back in? Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm looking for. Is that I don't want to see anybody go to prison ministry because Matthew twenty five thirty six says you visited me. Mm-hmm. I want them to have the draw on their heart to know that there's something there because if there's not, it's not a job in there. It is a true ministry, mm-hmm. and you need to look at it from that point of view. Tell me a story. <laughs> Tell me a success story of someone who's been touched that's uh, in ministry uh, th- through the prison ministry. I've got several of them, but uh, one of them I'm, I'm working with right now. Um, I first ran into Aaron in 1997 at Clallam Bay, and about a year and a half later, he showed up at Twin Rivers in Monroe. And I watched this young man grow. He had been a bass player when he was on the outside as an 18-year-old. He was down on a 20-year sentence for murder. Mm. And he started writing songs to the Lord. And he learned to play lead guitar. And he learned to play rhythm guitar. And he was part of the worship team. And he came from Twin Rivers over to the Minimum Security Unit, MSU. And I made him my worship leader. And for three and a half years, that's what he was. And then I had permission when he got out to be there for support. And I see him at least weekly. He's been out for three years now. 
just about ready to come off of supervision. He's hardworking. He's, uh, you know, got a place to live, got a, got a car, got a job, mm-hmm. and has fulfilled one of his vi- dreams, and he's played on the worship team at my church. Oh, wow. How cool is that? Yeah. <laughs> Well, there certainly is a need, and there's there's there are so many men and women who need that that touch from someone. You know, I've I've talked to my son about this. My son was incarcerated for for several years, and uh, he would talk to me about some of the the inmates that were there with him, and and uh, he was talking about family relationships, and and I'd say to him, you know, a lot of these folks don't know what normal is they've they've never lived normal you know i'd say to my son you know you you had an opportunity and you did see normal but some don't know what normal is and so you you know you have the opportunity to share with them and, and um share the love of of christ with them and just show them what normal is you know and so um many have come from difficult situations but what's so powerful is that our god is a powerful God and is able to redeem, even in the midst of a prison cell or even in the craziness of, yes. of a prison. <laughs> yes. And can do a powerful work in people's lives. Yes, definitely. And, and um, you know, addictions have a lot to do with it. I'm sure you see, you know, a lot of the people that are in there. I, I've, I've been in, I've been in, um, uh, in court before watching, um, watching guys come through and most of it was either d was most of it was duis you know there were a few domestic violences but typically that's because they were intoxicated at the time a few burglaries here and there but most of it was dui stuff just the addiction 90 90 percent of all the male offenders in the state of washington are there on a drug or alcohol related crime Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's because they've committed the crime to get money to get the drugs mm-hmm. or they're drunk or high at the time so you know this it's addictions are a very very strong part of what we're dealing with in there. yeah and i don't want to get started on this but there's no <laughs> way i can agree with legalized marijuana because i've seen what <laughs> what those drugs you know can do to people's lives and and uh well that'll be a different program oh, yeah. one of the things i want to hear from you when when you and i were sharing admissions fest you just went through a recent health crisis. Tell, tell me what went on. Um, September 12th, i uh, just gotten back from a week down in Reno where my niece got married. Uh, and I was starting to get dinner ready when all of a sudden I started feeling very strange. Uh, my wife looked at me and had me sit down, went through the, the, the fast facial arms, smile, and time uh, for a stroke, and within sixty seconds, it called nine one one, and uh, I was in the hospital in the CT scan machine in about forty minutes. What were you feeling like when that was all going on? When you were, you know, I was I was feeling. I knew that there was something wrong. Uh, I was lightheaded. I could hear. I could hear my speech being slurred. Mm-hmm. I didn't see my face drooping. My arms were okay, but uh, she was sharp enough to pick it up, called 911 and said, I think my husband's having a stroke. Right. Paramedics showed up, and they said, yes, you're having a stroke, and got me in. 
um, time is critical. So uh, I got the I got the treatment, the TPA, uh, within 82 minutes of the onset of the stroke, and by five hours I had use of my left arm again. Um, had vocal back without slurring. Uh, had full use of my legs. Uh, and I'm sitting here 38 days since my stroke with a little lack of sensitivity in my left hand. Hmm. Other than that, I'm, I'm fine. Wow. I'm, I'm just, I, I'm amazed when I look at other people that have had the stroke. And I was told by my neurologist, you had a major stroke. Wow. So God is just on the throne. We had uh, over 150 people praying for me within two hours. And my wife was there right on top of it. Well, you said the word fast. Tell, tell, tell us again what... Uh... Fast means facial. Look at the face. Have them smile. See if there's any drooping. Mm-hmm. A is for arms. Have them lift both arms and see if they can't keep one of them up. And the third thing is slurred speech. Mm-hmm. If you have any one of those three things, any one of them, don't question it. Call nine one one. Let a professional make the decision. Yeah, yeah. Because you know the last thing you want to do is is delay. Yes. Because that's the key, isn't it? To, to... They told me that if you get the shot within ninety minutes of onset, you're thirty five to forty percent more improvement than if you don't get it until three hours. Mm-hmm. And after three hours, the shot has no effect, and they won't even give it to you. Mm-hmm. So most people, as they were telling me at the hospital, the nurses, everybody saying, nobody comes in this fast. If everybody came in this fast, we'd see significant recovery. Uh, people sometimes wait two or three days. Mm. And then the stuff that's in there, the brain, uh, the stroke causes little things to start dying in the brain. Mm-hmm. And the quicker you can get that that clot removed or shrunk down or dissolved the better off you are Mm -hmm. and i just tell don't take chances if you hear any of those three things just call 911 and let the professionals make the decision well that's good advice john we've got about two minutes left and uh i'd I'd like to come back on around to the prison ministry and um I'd love for you just to encourage. There, there's. I know that there is someone listening today who uh, has a loved one that's incarcerated. They're either in county jail or prison, or uh, you know, they're in incarcerated somewhere. What can you say to encourage them? What uh, What do you want to share with them? What I want to share is that take and pray for them on a daily basis. Uh, don't try to preach at them or to them. Just love them. Give them the love that Christ has given you. And when you do that, then there's an opportunity for them to be drawn to you. Encourage them to be involved in whatever chapel services or whatever are available in the jail and or the prison. And almost every one of them has got a chaplain there. They've got services that go on and, and that there. Jail ministry is all about evangelism. Uh, you get a lot of people saved because all of a sudden they get that, oh, my God, I've got to do something. Mm-hmm. Prison ministry is all about discipleship. 
It's equipping to be equipped for life. They've got time to do it. They've got time to get into the Word. They've got time to argue about theology. So we don't do that. We go in with the Word, testimony, and the love of Christ. Hmm. And that's what changes lives. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've got at the Monroe Complex, we've got almost 8 to 9% of the population attending a church service every week. Hmm. So if we had that in the community, we'd have a lot less problems. Yeah, that's very true. Very true. Well, if you'd like to learn more about uh, the uh, prison ministry, you can go to New Life Prison Ministry. No, it's and, New uh, Life Prison. It's New Life Prison, newlifeprison.org. And um, check it out there. And, uh, John, I want to thank you today for joining me on Heart of the City. Oh, Chuck, thank you so much for inviting me and having me here. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. KGNW special, Heart of the City. For more information about how your pastor or ministry can be featured on 820 AM The Word, call Chuck Olmstead at 206-269-6216 or go to 820amtheword.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.